0: Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. Glad you're here. Um, good Sunday to, get to be here. We're starting a new series. There we are. Uh, on the screen called Chasing Carrots, subtitled The Endless Pursuit of More. And we'll talk about this for a few weeks. Uh, today's topic is fame, fame. So let me start by asking you a question. What do you think you need to be happy? We all want to be happy, right? And so we make decisions about our lives with that desired outcome. So what is it for you? Um, do you need uh, something to be different in your life? Do you need... If I had more money, I'd be happy. If I had more free time, I'd be happy. If my kids would behave, I'd be ha- if they weren't grouchy, I'd be happy. Uh, if, um, you know... Things that work were different, or if I got a promotion, or if I got a different job, I'd be happy, or if I found that right person, or maybe if I got rid of a not the right person. <laughs> what, what, it, what is it you think you need to be happy? And so we've all pursued that in our lives. And let me ask you, how, how, how well did they do? Did it deliver? Did getting that promotion or getting that different job or, or getting more money, did it make you happy? And most of the time... If so, it was only temporary, wasn't it? And so we buy into this lie that if I just had this or more of this, I'd be happy. Life would be good. Just a little bit more. Well, I want to talk to you about fame. Now, most of you are going to say, well, that's not an issue for me. Well, hold on. (laughs) Maybe you don't want to be President of the United States But inside of all of us is kind of this desire to be known, to be accepted, to be respected, to be looked up to. Uh, A new word for me was this. It's a micro craving. We don't have this desire to be, you know, uh, on TV maybe, but we all have these micro cravings, desire to be uh, known, um, to get credit for what you do. Does it bother you if you don't get credit for something you've done? Now, we live in the social media age, and this has kind of blown this this thing up. Um, I came across some statistics that were just mind-boggling to me. Uh, Some of you have children. Um, If this is not an issue to you, I guarantee you it's an issue to them. For example, 10- to 12-year-olds. Who has a 10- to 12-year-old? Okay, a couple of you, all right? You know what their number one desire is? It's not to be wealthy, it's not to be happy, it's not to be smart, it's not to be have a good job, it's to be famous. Number one, and those kids, that age bracket, desire is to be famous. Now, how many of you are in the 22 to 37-year-old range? This, This one, 22 to 37, all right. Let me tell you something about you folks. 50% Fifty percent of you. So if we had eight hands up, that's four of you eight out of you eight. You think your life should be made into a movie? <laughs> now the rest of us laugh at that, and we wouldn't go see the movie, would we? Half of folks in that age think their lives should be made into a movie. Um, desire for fame. One. In 12 people are willing to desert their family for fame. One in nine are willing to give up marriage for fame. And one in six are willing to give up having children for fame. So, we're going to talk about fame for a few minutes. Now, the question is is it wrong to be famous? Good question, right? Well, we're going to look at a guy who was pretty famous. We're talking about him 3,000 years later. That's got to be pretty famous to do that, right? Guy's name's David. And even people that aren't religious know David and Goliath, right? They know that story. So, just two verses out of the Old Testament. So David did... Now, let's figure out how come David was famous, David did what God commanded and they struck down the Philistine army all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. So David's, there's our word, fame spread everywhere. And the Lord caused all the nations to fear David. All right, first question. What did he do to become famous? He did what God told him to do, right? And who made him famous then? God made him famous. So it's not wrong to be famous. In fact, we should all try to excel at whatever we do. And if you excel at whatever you do, there's a chance that you may become famous. Now, interesting story. David had a bunch of children. One of his sons became the next king. His name was Solomon. He's pretty famous also. But Solomon, after he became king, he had this dream where God came to him and said, Hey, I'll give you anything you want. Isn't that a cool dream? kind of a you know, genie in a bottle. Get anything you want. And Solomon said, well, I'm kind of young, and these you know, I, I'm in charge of all these people. That's a great responsibility. God, just give me wisdom to be a good king. So what did God say to, back to, to Solomon? So Solomon said, I'll certainly do that, but since you didn't ask for the defeat of your enemies, you didn't ask for uh, fame or money, I'm going to give you fame and Money. So God gave it to him. I thought of people like Billy Graham. He was famous. Did he seek fame? I don't think so. Who made him famous? God. Mother Teresa. Did she seek fame? I don't think so. Not in the you know, slums of Calcutta. She won a Nobel Peace Prize. And probably the most famous person in the history of the world is the guy by the name of Jesus Christ, right? Millions of people are talking about him today all over the world. So there's nothing wrong with fame. But I put on your outline, the pursuit of fame can be very dangerous, especially to your spiritual life, to your faith. So why? Why is it dangerous? Well, put the answer on your outline also. The trajectory takes your heart away from God and others, because that's where our heart is supposed to be, with God and others, and does what? It moves it toward yourself. It's seeking fame becomes self-centered. And if Scripture teaches us anything, it's not to be self-centered, is it? Now, this whole fame thing has changed a lot in the lifetime of half of you folks, Back when I was growing up, you had to do something really significant, to become famous. You know, you had to be a, a, a great at some sport, you had to be uh, create something, uh, land on the moon, um, do something significant, something important. Now, not so much. You can just do something interesting, or something funny, or even something silly. Or even something horrible, and put it on, on social media, and you become famous. There's a story, this is kind of an old story. Alex from Target." You ever heard a story about Alex from Target? Sixteen-year-old guy just bagging groceries at Target. Somebody thought he was cute and posted his picture. He had 114 followers on Instagram the day before. The next day he had 300,000. He was on CNN the next day and he was on Ellen's TV show before the week was out. Did he do anything? Just was cute. So, I want you to know me because. How would you finish that sentence? Because I'm cute. Not my case, but your case. Because I have a lot of money. I'm smart. um, I got a beautiful wife. I do have a beautiful wife. Fame can be traumatic. In fact, you know what happened to Alex? It was so dramatic he had to get off the social media. He couldn't handle it. 16 years old. Now we're going to look at a famous theologian by the name of Jim Carrey. You know Jim Carrey? Okay, those of you know Jim Carrey, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they dreamed of, just like he did, right? So, why does he say that? So they can see that that's not the answer. Pretty good theology. So, what is the answer? We're going to look at somebody, that, somebody else that was famous but didn't seek to be famous. His name was John the Baptist. By the way, what's John the Baptist and Winnie the Pooh have in common? Middle name. Dumb joke, I know. Forgive me. It wasn't original with me if somebody else had heard it, right? Anyway, John the Baptist was kind of a weird guy. He, was, he dressed funny. He ate funny food. He lived out in the country. Um, and he was telling people, They're all, you're all bad. You're all sinners. But he, drew a crowd. He was pretty charism- charismatic, evidently. And one day, J- uh, Jesus came to him, and Jesus baptized him. So Jesus is now becoming famous. And so John's got disciples like Jesus did. And his disciples come to him and say, uh, John, we need some uh, help from you on this, on this topic. Because we were famous for a while, but now these guys are more famous than us. So, reading from John chapter 3, John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, we've called Jesus, right, is also baptizing people. So, this was kind of our thing. We were the people that were doing this weird baptizing thing. Now, Jesus and his disciples are doing it. And everyone is going to him instead of coming to us. We're losing popularity. We're losing our fame. So John replied, <clears throat> No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. So God gave us his fame for a while, and now God's given it to Jesus. You yourselves know how plainly I told you. I'm not the Messiah. Because they came to are, are you the one? Are you the one? No, no, no. He said, Clearly, I'm not. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. And he uses an illustration. How many of you have ever been a best man or lady-in-waiting or any of those things at a wedding? Stood up for somebody at a wedding. Most of us have done that, right? I did a bunch of times before I got married. Um, he uses that illustration. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. They're the famous, they're the, they're the important people, right, at a wedding. And the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows or hers. So here's a key. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. Can you be happy for other people's success? Now, you're saying, oh, a pastor, I should be able to do that. Well, pastors get jealous of other churches that are are bigger and more famous. That's easy to do. Are better preachers than I am? John said, he, Jesus, must become greater and greater. Here's the key Jesus, not me, Jesus must become greater and greater. And I must become less and less. So, how do we do that? Well, I'm going to give you two questions, so kind of soul searching, heart searching questions this morning. But it boils down to a question of motive. What is your motive? First question Who are you representing? Who are you representing? And of course, we're, if you're not a Jesus follower, you probably have a different answer, but most of us are Jesus followers, and we're, and we're glad you're here or watching. Um, but for Jesus followers, we said, well, I'm representing Jesus, right? We don't even think about it. We just answer flippantly. It's kind of like the Sunday school teacher is talking to his small children's class, and she's saying, okay, what's brown and furry and climbs up in trees and collects nuts? And the little boy said, thinks, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but it's Jesus, right? Because Jesus is always the answer. Can't, can't, can't be wrong if you say Jesus. We all want to be liked. So, Paul, writing to Paul, pretty famous guy, uh, wrote a bunch in the New Testament. He's writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this. This verse we covered a few weeks ago. I thought we'd start there and, and move on. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Right? Not a remodeled or refurbished, but new, brand new. Uh, it means that you, you, you and I have a new master, a new boss, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Lord means Boss. It also means, though, that everything before we become a believer doesn't matter. Because that was the old you, and now you are a new you. So then he goes on. He says, all this is a gift, right? Salvation is a gift. The fact that I'm a new creation of God is a gift. Uh, Creator God who has pursued us. Now, those of you who are believers most of us, probably all of us, probably recognize the fact that God pursued us and he caught us, right? We let him catch us, I guess you would say. If you're not a Jesus follower, God's pursuing you too. You just haven't let him catch you yet. Or maybe you're not aware he is. And he's brought us into a restored and healthy relationship with him. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're separated from God you know, God's here and, and we're, our, our relationship disrupted. It's, it's broken. But God said, I don't want it to be broken. I want to fix it. So I'm going to send Jesus to die for you, and pay for your sins. He's going to resurrect you from the de- dead and conquer death. And then your sins can be forgiven on his behalf. And it says, and he, God has given us the same mission That Jesus had. The ministry of reconciliation. That's fixing that broken relationship. Being reconciled. So that's our mission, just like it was Jesus' mission. He describes it as bringing others back to him. Text goes on. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. I just explained that, right? No longer counting people's sins against them. This is huge. As a Jesus follower... Jesus took the penalty for my sins. It's just mind-boggling. And again, Jesus' followers, he's given us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Old illustration. Uh, if you had the cure for cancer, what would you do with it? Keep it secret? Nah, no, you would give it to the world, wouldn't you? But well, we have the message of something greater than the cure for cancer. We have something Cure for death and eternal separation from God. So that's a wonderful message we have. We get to share. So I think one more, two more verses. So we are Christ's ambassadors. You all know what ambassador is? We have ambassadors from other countries that represent their country that come here to the United States. The United States sends ambassadors to other countries to represent us, right? God is making... His appeal through us. So Jesus isn't here anymore. So you and I give this appeal that you can be reconciled to God. The relationship can be fixed. We speak for Christ when we plead. The way the text reads is come back to God. We all left him. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin, as I said, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. This is so amazing. I receive something of such great worth, forgiveness and eternal life. And what do I give? I give my worthless sin to Jesus. So I want you to think about it this way. I put it on your LA. You as a Jesus follower are the highest ranking diplomat sent from heaven to earth to represent our God. That's what you and I are. So, back to the question. Who are you representing? And don't just say Jesus. Who are you representing with how you spend your time? How you act? Your attitude, what you say. I have to confess it's not always Jesus or me. Sometimes it's me. Second question, it's kind of quiet in here. Whose approval matters most to you? Whose approval? Let's be honest. Don't just flippantly say Jesus. Why? Why, whoever that is, do you seek their approval? Again, we all want to be liked. None of us like to be overlooked. Back to Paul, writing to another, a different church, same, basically same subject. For we speak as messengers diplomats, ambassadors, whatever, approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. This is great news. Salvation and restored relationship with God can be yours and is a free gift. So he says, our purpose is to please God, not people. Why? Because he alone examines the motives of our hearts. You don't know. My motives, I don't know your motives. God knows our motives. So if I'm going to seek to please somebody, it should be him. But it's so easy for us to, for a better word, compromise, isn't it? Well, I'll give them 70% of the gospel because if I give them the whole gospel, it'll offend them and they'll not, you know, be turned away from God. So I'll uh, hold some of it back. or I, I won't tell the whole the whole story. In fact, some of, probably almost all of you have seen these God gets us commercials. And in the church world, there's a lot of controversy about some of those commercials. Because it isn't given the whole gospel. Are they going to give it later? Are they planning on other people to do it? Are they just trying to get people's attention? Fascinating discussion for another time. Text goes on. Never once do we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. Ever been guilty of flattery? You ever swat somebody, flatter somebody else? What do you th- usually think of that? Now, sometimes we enjoy being flattered, don't we? So, but we're not doing that. As God is our witness, we're not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. You ever pretend to be somebody's friend to get something from them? Maybe a boss? As for human praise or fame, right? Human praise, fame. We have never sought it from you or anyone else. Who's approval. What are you seeking? This is tough. Some people are quote-unquote people pleasers. Man, you're really uncomfortable if everybody doesn't like you. Well, that's pretty tough because, except for Claudia, everybody loves Claudia, right? <laughs> Most of us, somebody's not going to like us. Sorry. put on your outline. We're not called to be famous. We may or may not be, but that's not our calling. We are called to be faithful. We're not waiting to get to heaven and Jesus saying, Well done, thou good and famous person. Good and faithful person. Billy Graham was famous. Put it on his. How do you feel when you're unnoticed? When you've done something you thought was significant? Unnoticed. I want to brag on some folks. You know, we have this Micah's Backpack Ministry. So we feed 36 people on the weekend. Uh, Children on the weekend. Actually... um, the, uh, the most went to the high school because we got the numbers and we packed the, our small group on Monday, packed. so we got to see what was put in to the bags. We had that privilege this week because normally we don't do that. There's a group of ladies. I only know one. Well, I know two of the ladies. Some of the ladies I don't even know. Probably none of you know hardly any of them, if any. Anyway, so this week they were sick and so we did the bag. So Thursday I had the privilege to deliver the bags. So I took 13 to the high school and 12 to the middle school and uh, Richard, where are you? He, you took some to Brook Lane and I took some to the elementary school. So those ladies do that week after week, year after year, and most of us don't even know who they are. Jesus talks about giving a cup of cold water in his name. Can you do that? And not have the need to be noticed? And it's tough as a pastor and leadership in a church. How much recognition do we give people? Because it's not really about any of us. We appreciate your sacrifices. We appreciate your gifts. But who's it about? Hopefully we're making a difference for him, not for us. So if you struggle with that, put on your outline. Remind yourself of this. The world might not know my name. This church might not know the ladies who delivered Micah's backpack. But I know the name that is above every name. Jesus. King of kings. Lord of lords. Savior and God. So, flip side. It's not about what you call me. It's about what he calls me. Just a short list. Long, could be a long list. He calls me loved, redeemed, chosen, blessed, more than a conqueror. Are you living your life for the approval of one? Less of me and more of him. Back to David. He said it well in the psalm. He said this, Not to us, O Lord, not to us. It's not about us. But to your name goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. The name that's above every name. One day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So, assignment. Just do a little more heart-searching. What do you think you need to be happy? Is it really working? Ask God to help you figure it out. Figure out what truly will make you happy. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, this uh, fame thing didn't seem really to be too important to me, but I (laughs) repent of that. I like to be liked just like everybody else. And sometimes it's unfortunately about me. It's not about you. Forgive me. Forgive us. But we thank you that we know the name above every name. And then we know, that we thank you that you know us and love us and care deeply about us and provide for us now and for eternity. And we want to pray for any of you that are not Jesus followers. Oh, we're so glad that you've participated in this worship service. You've heard what we call the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right now, you're separated from God by your sin. We all sin. You're not any different than anybody else. You've done wrong. It's not just wrong. It's sin. You've sinned against God. You've broken his rules. And you can't fix that. None of us can fix that on our own. So God said, I'll fix it for you. I'll send my son Jesus to die for you, to pay for your sin, so our relationship can be restored even though you have sinned and turned your back on me. And I'm going to give it to you as a gift. It's free. You just need to believe. And Today we pray that it is the day as you step across that line and receive that gift. Receive eternal life and receive forgiveness and receive empowering by the Holy Spirit. That is yours just by the asking. And God, most of us are Jesus followers and we all struggle <laughs> with, among other things, desire to be known. So I pray that we would have the spirit of, of John the Baptist No, not to us or or David. It's not to us. It's not about us. It's all about you, Jesus. And forgive us when we don't. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.